listening to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Let's face it. The human side of us likes to know what our spiritual investments will yield before we invest our time in ministry. But God asks us to leave the results with Him. Join us now as we complete our journey through Acts chapters 11 and 12 with Cheryl Broderson. And now, here is part three of Cheryl's message, The Way to Handle Opposition. This is what you do in opposition. One, give God the glory. Two, rest in the Lord. But three, follow. Follow is leading. Whatever God tells you to do, do. And sometimes God will tell you what seems like the wrong thing to do. Because when you're arrested, you're kind of like, well, these guys are already angry with me, Lord. I don't know that I should get them any more angry. You know, there are times when we're facing opposition and we're confined that we give in to the confinement. God wants to give us a get out of jail card, but we're like, oh no, I'm just gonna stay here in this confinement. How do I get this, this chain back on? I remember when I went to England, I, uh, I, I felt the Lord tell me, have a brunch for the women in the church. So we announced a brunch for the women in the church. And I decided I was going to make this cinnamon coffee cake that I make. And um, I think I did an egg casserole and cinnamon coffee cake. And I remember this woman coming to me, an American woman, and said, oh, no, you cannot feed the British people American food. They don't like it. You have to feed them mushy peas and roast beef. And I said, well, since this thing's at 10.30 in the morning, I am not feeling mushy peas or roast beef. I have to say, I rarely am feeling mushy peas or roast beef. But especially not in the morning. I said, I'm not going to feed him that. I'm I'm not English. I'm American. This is is what I do. I don't think God would have brought me here to be something that I'm not. So I'm just going to make them my cinnamon coffee cake. And she's like, okay, I'm just going to go with you because you're going to be such a failure. And just to comfort you when you fail. I said, okay. She said, now, you know, the English won't come to this brunch. They don't like brunches. They're not going to come. And you've had it at such and such a place. They don't like this place. You know, everything I was doing, she was telling me how wrong it was. And I said, you know what? All I know is that God put this on my heart and I'm just going to try it and see what happens. I have this other friend who's English, Sue McBride, who you met. She's like, it's a wonderful idea. Don't listen to her. She doesn't know. It's a wonderful idea. We're going to do it. God is going to bless it. Come on, Cheryl. She even found the hotel that you know, would rent us a room and we could bring our own food. She's like, it's, it's gonna be glorious. I'm like, okay, Sue. Because she'd always make me do things I didn't wanna do, Sue. And always encourage me to do things I was feeling kind of scared about. But I'm like, at least Sue likes me. I'm doing this. And you know, the church was pretty small at the time. We were just starting. 21 women showed up. I was like, 21 women, Yes. I was so excited. And they, guess what? They loved the coffee cake. Absolutely adored. Cheryl, this is gorgeous. This is just gorgeous. They loved it. And they're like, 
we can't believe you did this for us. And, you know, we did Bible study. We gave them a little gift. And the, the friend who came to encourage me was sitting there like, well, I, I guess it's because they're in London that it worked. You're like, okay, fine. You keep up with your mushy peas. I'm going to do cinnamon coffee cake. It's just the way things are. And then I made blueberry muffins the, the next meeting. And it was so funny because, again, blueberry muffins, they won't understand. They won't like blueberry muffins. You shouldn't do blueberry muffins, blah, 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 blah. Okay, not only did I make blueberry muffins, but a woman hired me because she was doing a conference to make 500 blueberry muffins for her conference, which was really a stupid thing to say yes to. (laughs) And thinking back, I don't know what possessed me to say I'd love to, but mainly because that discourager was standing next to me. So I was just like, I'd love to make 500 blueberry muffins (laughs) for all your English friends at your English conference that doesn't have non-Christians and they don't live in London. You know, follow the Lord. It doesn't matter if you think your audience loves mushy peas and he tells you to make blueberry muffins. You follow the Lord. When he takes the chains off, follow the Lord. When he opens the prison doors, follow the Lord. When he puts the guards to sleep, follow the Lord. And that's exactly what Peter did. He's just following the leading of the Lord. That's what he did when it came to Cornelius. And when he went to Cornelius' house, he was just following the leading of the Lord. He started a pattern in his life of, I'm just going to follow the leading of the Lord and not ask questions. You see that Peter never says, where are we going? How long is it going to take to get there? What are we going to do when we get out? Who are you, by the way? And why are you making my chains fall off? In fact, I love this. Peter thinks he's in a dream. Like, whoa, this is one cool dream. As he's walking with the angel. Cool. And it's not until he's out in the street and the, the prison gates are behind him and close. They opened at their own accord and now they're closed. That he goes, oh my goodness, this is all real. This is totally real. And then we know the rest of the story. I love it. He goes to John Mark's house mother's house. John Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark, he goes to her house. He's knocking at the door. And we know these are such people of faith, praying in faith, just knowing that Peter's going to show up at the door at any moment because they're praying. It's going to happen. All that expectation, all that faith, you know, that should totally give you such, such relief, such comfort that these people are praying for Peter's release. And when he shows up at the door, they're surprised and they don't believe it. They're saying, no, it's an angel. It's a hallucination. You're crazy. And Peter has to just keep banging on the door. And then they all come to the door. And I don't know what was going on, but it must've gotten really loud because it says he motioned with his hands to be quiet. I don't know what motion he did. Like, like, what, what was that motion? It's like, I can't wait. I don't know why I'm going to do this, but I'm going to tell you. When videos first came out, I was a married woman. I'm old. But I remember when videos first came out, um, I wanted to see An Affair to Remember with Cary Grant and Deborah Carr. It's one of my favorite movies. And my favorite part is the part when Cary Grant realizes that Deborah Carr is the woman who's the invalid who bought his painting. And so when he realizes it, he goes like this. 
against the threshold of a door. It's like Cary Grant in pain. It was like emotional turmoil. It's beautiful. And so I fast forwarded to that part of the movie, watched it, rewound, watched it, rewound, watched it, rewound. And Brian's like, what are you doing? I'm like, Brian, this is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Cary Grant, he does this so well. But, you know, I kind of feel that way when I come to this story. And, you know, here's Peter, and he's motioning to them. I mean, if I had this on video, rewind, Peter motioning them to be quiet. Rewind, Peter motioning them to be quiet. I want to see what that looks like. You know, I, I don't know why, but I just do. How do you motion that crowd that's so excited? Like, it really is you. They're pinching him. They probably are smacking him. It's really Peter. Peter delivered him, but Peter's there because he followed the leading of the Lord. When you're opposed, you need to follow the leading of the Lord. Because you see, when we're opposed, you want to start following your opposers sometimes. When you're opposed, you want to start leaning into your own understanding and do what feels natural or feels secure. We have that tendency to want to protect ourselves at all costs. We want to insulate. We want to stay in the prison. We want to be ignored. We want to give in to it. It's not the time to give in to it. It's the time to follow the leading of the Lord. All right, Lord, where are we going? What do you want to do? I'm following. I'm not asking questions. I'm just following. It's the time to give ourselves more than ever to the Lord. Peter is such an example to us on how to deal with opposition. One, give God the glory. This requires keeping yourself out of the glory, not forcing anything, but letting God lead, keeping our flesh out of it completely. Next, it's resting in God, putting your entire estate in God's hands, your reputation, your health, your ministry, your life. It's in God's hands, and that's why you can rest. Following God's leading, don't give up, don't draw back, don't withdraw, follow and go forward. But there's still one more essential in dealing with opposition, and here it is. It's leaving everything with God or leave the results with God. I used to play tennis. I'd like to think I still could. I'm not quite sure, though, about that one. But sometimes when I would play tennis, my dad had this thing. He was, he was an excellent. He could have gone pro. That's a thing that a lot of people don't know about my dad. My dad didn't have to move when he played tennis. He had all these spins and all these amazing ways of answering the ball that I played with him one time. And he says, watch, when you return this one, it's going to go over my head. And so he, he hit it to me and I returned it, just tried to hit it really lightly. It went over his head. In fact, it went over the fence. The next one, he said, this is going to go to the right of the court. This one's going to go to the left of the court. He knew exactly by the spin he put on the ball how my return would be. I was, I was absolutely amazed. But this is what would happen. If I did a good return sometimes when I would play tennis, I'd be so anxious to see where my shot hit inside the court and where it was. Because no offense, I'm the type of tennis player that I'm always surprised by my shot, where it does hit, and good, I got it in the lines, I'd be so concentrated on where my shot hit that when the person answered it, I was totally not ready for the return. It's like, oh, they hit it back. (laughs) Wow. I guess that's how you play this game. It's probably why I don't play so much anymore. But this is my whole point. Sometimes when we're doing the work of the Lord, 
we are so concentrated on the fruit of that work that we're not ready for the return. We're not ready to hit the ball again. We're not ready to keep working. Peter did not put his mind on the fruit. He wasn't like, well, Lord, I'll follow you, but what do I get out of this? Or what's my ministry? Or what are you going to do if I do this? I mean, how many times are we negotiating with God? Well, if I obey you now, what will you do for me? What's going to be the fruit? And sometimes if we can't see fruit as the outcome of what we do for God, we won't do it because we don't see what fruit will come out of it. We want to know what our investment will yield before we invest. Peter doesn't do that. He just obeys the Lord. He goes to Cornelius' house. He just tells this story. Now, you see, the fruit is up to God, and he does bring fruit. What is the fruit? The fruit happens that these guys who are listening to this dialogue that's going back and forth in Jerusalem, these Christians, they, they take the gospel back to Antioch in Syria, which was the third most important city in Roman times. First was Jerusalem. Second, I'm sorry. First was Rome. Second was Alexandria in Egypt. And third was Antioch in Syria. They take the gospel to this major city. At first, they're only sharing with Jews. And then somebody has a bright idea. Hey, you know, Peter shared with Cornelius. Let's just see what happens. Let's share with the gospel with a couple Gentiles. And what happens? A mass revival. All these Gentiles become saved. And they are so gloriously saved. They are so Christ-like that they're called Christians there. Do you get it? They weren't called Christians in Jerusalem. They were called Christians in Syria. It was these Gentile believers who began to act like Jesus Christ. That's the fruit. And you don't see Peter going up to, to Antioch going, well, let me inspect this. You know, this is because I went to Cornelius. He's not even called to be a part of the work. This is the fruit that God's bringing. The fruit that's coming from Peter's simple obedience. Peter giving glory to God. Peter's reaction to opposition, giving glory to God, not quarreling. Resting in God, not fighting against the circumstances, not being um, anxious. Peter following whatever God says to do. And now here's the fruit. Not with Peter, but God bringing the fruit. Get your eyes off the fruit. Follow. Ours is not about the fruit. God brings the fruit. You know, sometimes it's like, God, you gave me limits. I wanted peaches. We tend to be like that, don't we? Like, oh my goodness, you get to grow apples? I'm growing lemons. It's, you know what? That's up to God. I, I think about Manoah, who's Samson's father. Samson's father and mother. They have this son. An angel tells him, you're going to have a son. God's going to use him for his glory. They're like so excited. And he starts um, dating Philistine women. And the Lord are like, God, you gave us a son of promise. And the Lord speaks to him and says, this is of me. Let it go. I'm in this. This is the way I'm going to bring about fruit. And this is the fruit that I'm going to bring. You cannot choose the fruit that God brings from your life. And if you've got a preoccupation with the fruit, you can't oppose opposition. You, you can't have the right reaction. So one, don't look at the fruit. But secondly, oh, we get so preoccupied with the judgment. God, what are you going to do with the people that were mean to me? You ever do that? Of course you don't. It's just me because I'm the only sinner in this room. I know I'm not alone. 
we get our eyes on like, when's it coming? When are they going to get theirs? Don't we? We can be so Jonah, can't we? Instead of waiting for the salvation, the change of Nineveh, we sit outside the city just waiting for it to burn. And we're so inactive because all we want to do is just wait. Pressure's going to come. You know, we're not doing anything. We're not following. We're not resting. We're definitely not giving God the glory. We're just waiting for judgment to fall. We just want it to come. And when we're like that, we can't be fruitful like God wants us to do. You see, God will take care of the judgment in his time and his way. Notice that every soldier who was assigned to Peter was executed. Nobody got away with holding Peter. They're like, oh no, I touched Peter. I mean, they were all, they were all in trouble. Anyone who was part of Peter's imprisonment paid for it dearly. But then Herod himself, who seemed untouchable, unreachable, that he would escape this thing unscathed. There he is in the forum at Caesarea, the amphitheater. And I've been there, and there he is on the stage, and the sunlight is hitting hitting his clothes in just such a way that it's glistening. And he begins to speak. And because the people of Tyre and Sidon are dependent on him for their food, they begin to shout out and get the whole crowd excited. And they begin to shout, it is the voice of God and not a man. I mean, could things get worse? Now he's getting popular. Now he's got a bestseller. He seems like there's no end to him. Israel is accepting him. They're even calling him a Messiah. The deity that they refuse to give to Jesus Christ or acknowledge in Jesus Christ, they'll give to Herod. And what happens? An angel of the Lord comes and smites him. And as the people are looking on, it's not good enough just to knock him dead. They begin to see these worms coming out of his body. It was gruesome. It was ugly. God got even. Peter had nothing to do with it. He wasn't even in Caesarea. He was someplace else safe, going on with the work of the Lord. God will take care of the opposition. Either like those in Jerusalem, they'll have a change of heart and they'll end up getting on the bandwagon and being part of what God is doing or God will deal with them. That's God's problem. That's God's issue. Fruit, whatever fruit he brings, that's God's. Whatever judgment he brings, that's God's. That's not our responsibility. God knows how he is going to use the opposition in our life for glory. That's not our responsibility. Ours is simply to give God the glory, rest in the Lord, follow his instructions, and leave everything in his hands. That's what we're to do. Observe how God used the opposition. What if Peter had not been taken to task by the leadership in Jerusalem? You know, we're just like, I have opposition. You know, we get so mad when we have opposite. Nobody should oppose me. I'm doing the work of the Lord. You know? But observe how God used opposition. This opposition drew the attention of all the believers 
to the fact that Gentiles could be saved. Had there been no opposition to this, no more Gentiles might have been witnessed to. The gospel might not have gone any further than just what happened at Cornelius' house. But because of that, all believers are looking at this going, oh my goodness, what's, what's going to happen here? It drew the attention. And, and thusly, you know, I love the fact we're going to get into it more next week, but Barnabas took courage in everything he saw. He went to Syria, to Antioch, to see this church that was established. He saw the grace of God upon these people. He encouraged them. And then he went and grabbed this young man who had just gotten saved. Saul had been saved a couple of years, but living in obscurity, who used to be a rabbi and a Pharisee, and, he, and kind of unaccepted in Jerusalem, unaccepted by a lot of the church. He goes and he grabs them and he says, these people will accept anybody. Minister to these people. And he brings Saul, who later becomes Paul, out of obscurity. In fact, Saul becomes Paul in Antioch. He lets go of his Jewish name and takes his Greek name. And he begins to minister the grace and the word of God to these people in Antioch. So what do you see? Because of this opposition, Paul was brought out of obscurity. The church in Syria is established. Believers were emboldened to share the gospel with Gentiles and Jew alike. Barnabas observed the grace of God and facilitated the work of God, established the work of God. Great things. What else do we see? That God made a public spectacle of the enemies of Christianity. Had Peter or the church arisen to deal with the enemy? Oh my goodness, the church would have been hated. It would have been disliked. It would have been called, you know, warmongers. But instead, the church let God deal with the opposition. And what happened? The world had to observe that God was for the church. That God was strong enough to deal with the opposition. That God would take care of the opposition. That God would deal with the Herods. God would deal with the political powers. That they didn't want to withstand God. That was how it was used. The Bible is very clear that there will be opposition whenever God is at work. There will always be opposition. You cannot expect to do the work of God without opposition. If you have no opposition, I would ask you, are you really doing the work of the Lord? Is Satan really happy about what you're doing? Because if he's happy about what you're doing, you know, something might be wrong. The Bible says, beware when all men are at peace with you. You're like, that's a problem? Yes. Because you're not a threat to anybody. But when you've got opposition, God is working. Peter was not exempt from opposition, and we will not be either. Persecution will arise from unexpected places, sometimes from other believers, and sometimes from the government, the place we live, the political system we're under. Whenever it rises, learn this lesson from Peter. Give God the glory. Blame it on God. Tell others about what God has done. Rest in God, commit everything to God, receive the peace that he is working and will work. Follow God's leading, don't stop, don't hide, be ready for the next step, and leave everything to God. God is in charge of the follow-up, the clean-up, and the fruit. Don't be put off by opposition. Watch and see how God will use it for greater glory. Let's pray. Lord, you know our natural disposition towards opposition. 
we want flowers along our pathway, Lord. And when it becomes hard and arduous, Lord, we tend to draw back in fear and lose faith and lose heart. But Lord, we pray that you would work in us, that Lord, we would not in the least bit be put off by opposition, just like Peter wasn't put off. But Lord, that we would continue to just give you the glory. Lord, that we would rest in you, that we would follow you, And Lord, that we would leave everything in your capable hands. Lord, we thank you for this lesson from Peter. And we ask you, Lord, to apply it and engrave it on our hearts in Jesus' name. The best way to react to opposition is God's way. Number one, give God the glory. Number two, rest in God. Number three, continue to follow God's leading. And number four, leave the results to God. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is The Way to Handle Opposition. Once again, our website is graciouswords.com and our toll-free number is 1-800-733-6443. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, Cheryl will begin her teaching in Acts chapter 13 with her message entitled, The Importance of Being Called. We will come before you, Lord, in wonder, wonder. We will fall on our knees and surrender, we This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.